Grace, mercy, and peace are yours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not, strangely enough, begin with his birth, at least not according to St. Mark, the evangelist. We brought out all the trappings of Christmas here last week as we began Advent in anticipation of the coming of our Lord on Christmas. But even the gospel reading does not speak of his incarnation or foretell his birth, but instead introduces the passion. Now, last week it introduced the passion of our Lord when we began Advent, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, humbly mounted on a donkey. He would die and rise just a week later. Advent began then last week, much closer really to the end than the beginning. And even today, we hear the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus himself doesn't even appear on the scene right away. First, we get John the Baptist preparing the way for the one who would come after him. For us, really, the gospel starts in the middle. So many of our favorite stories start with a dramatic technique called in Latin, in medius res, which means in the middle things, in the middle of things. We're dropping into the middle of the story and the roller coaster ride begins. And as a matter of fact, some of our most beloved Christmas stories begin in the middle of things, in medius res. One such story begins with the words, Marley was dead. And with that, Charles Dickens plunges us into the life of Ebenezer Scrooge, Tiny Tim, and what it means to keep Christmas well. Or perhaps more famously, in Midius Res is the opening scene of a black and white montage of a quiet little town called Bedford Falls, where we hear that the prayers of a lot of people are asking for help for a man named George Bailey. The rest of the movie tells us the story of his wonderful life and how he got to that one present moment on the bridge on Christmas Eve and everything that came afterwards. We conceive of our lives and all of human history, really, in, a, in the narrow terms of beginning, middle, and end. That's really the only way we can make sense of the world and our place in it as mortal and finite creatures, all these stories that start in the middle of things play with our idea of how events progress. This is what piques our interest, and we wonder how they got to that point in the story. How did George Bailey end up on the bridge? Why does he want to jump off? Uh, who's this Marley person on uh, Ebenezer Scrooge's door? You know, what, 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 what's his, her meaning in all of this? How did all this lead to this middle moment? And it leads us also wondering what's going to come next. How is, how is this person going to get out of this moment that we're just sort of plunged into? For the story to work, it often uses flashbacks and interruptions, kind of jumping around in time to fill in present questions and move the story along to the future. Scrooge never took Marley's name off of his office door. George Bailey can't hear in his left ear because as we find out, uh, he saved his little brother from, from a frozen lake when he was a boy. The same thing is true in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. To paraphrase the opening verse of the first chapter, this is how the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, began. 
But notice that it does not begin at the beginning, as we would tend to think of it. In fact, the first scene of the, of the story of Jesus doesn't even have Jesus in it, but rather John the Baptist appears first. When Mark tells us the good news of Jesus in his own words, he doesn't start with any of our favorite stories from this time of year. There's no nativity scene, no angels, no shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. There are no wise men from the east bringing their gifts for the newborn king. There's not even sort of this uh, epic opening monologue that John's gospel has, which tells us about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Mark simply gets down to business. He starts in the middle things. And Jesus, after Jesus had already grown up, and as he was about to begin his public ministry, which sort of just dropped in the middle of the wilderness. He immediately flashes back hundreds of years to the prophet Isaiah saying, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so even this flashback doesn't talk about Jesus, but rather about John, who then tells us about Jesus. Then it flashes back forward to the present when John appeared crying in the wilderness, saying just that, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. He proclaimed a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and he pointed forward to one who would come after him, who is greater than he is, who would baptize not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And then it fades to black. It just cuts out. We're not really told any more about this Jesus guy until later when he appears on the scene. Mark leaves us in suspense until the next scene emerges. It's as if he comes out on stage right in the middle of the rest of it, and says, behold, get ready, prepare the way of the Lord. All right, bye. I'll tell you more later. Why would Mark do this and just drop us in the middle of the story and just leave us all hanging? Well, part of it, I think, is to pique our interest. All of the gospels are written, uh, all the gospel writers are very sophisticated and intentional about how they compose and present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark is a uh, famous for how sort of fast-paced and rough he is around the edges. And so a lot, of, a lot of commentators think that he must have been the first gospel writer because of that. But no, this is Mark's way of drawing us into the story. He's very intentional and sophisticated on how he brings us in, kind of airdropped into the wilderness. Mark wants us to be filled with eager anticipation that, so that we can't help but read on and hear more about this Jesus character. The real point is of why he sort of drops off in the middle is this, that that is exactly how Jesus, the Son of God, comes to us all the time in this world. He comes to us in medius res, in the middle of things. Jesus comes to us in the middle of human history. He didn't come right after Eden, uh, but rather later, kind of in the middle of, uh, of Galilee and uh, in Roman occupation. By the way that Mark tells the story, Jesus seems to come to us from out of nowhere, from a nowhere town called Nazareth, from a nowhere uh, region called Galilee. The way that Mark tells us the story, it's almost as if we would have never heard about Jesus at all or noticed that he was even there if it weren't for a prophet named John who was prophesied by a prophet who came earlier named Isaiah to come and prepare his way. And that's exactly how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes to our lives, too, today, out of nowhere. 
in the middle of it. Jesus always comes in medias res, in the middle of things, smack dab in the middle of the hustle and bustle of the holiday season, which is often bogged down by commercialism and all sorts of distractions and expectations of uh, having certain merriment and joy when it may not feel like we want to be celebrating a whole lot. He comes to us even now in the midst of our sin. He comes to us in the middle of pandemic and illness, in the middle of loneliness, addiction, economic uncertainty. He comes to us during uh, tyrannical rules of governments, whether it's the Romans or whatever else the case might be. He comes to us in the middle of the wilderness and makes us long for his salvation. Jesus comes to us in the middle of our brokenness and failure, those things that we have done and that we have left undone. Jesus comes to us in the middle of our lives to stir up our hearts for a life that only he can give us. John the Baptist prepared the way for his life to enter our lives by proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins. To repent simply means to turn from one thing and toward another thing. And so John is really calling us to turn away from whatever idols we're chasing after in the world, to turn away from sin, fear, and whatever is distracting us from the life that we have in Christ. He's calling us to turn then toward the one whose shoes we are not worthy to stoop down and untie, but rather has come to, uh, to wash our feet as Jesus has done. We are to turn toward the one who speaks tenderly to Jerusalem, comfort, comfort to my people, as we heard in the Old Testament reading for today, and who speaks comfort to us as well. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begins in the middle where a voice cries in the wilderness for us to turn away from uh, sin and wickedness and toward the one who is patient toward us all so that none of us would perish but have eternal life. He calls us to follow the one who would give his own life over to death on a cross, who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey in order to die and raise, who will come again on the, on the last day. But that's maybe looking too far ahead. Let's go back to the beginning. For us, the gospel begins in the middle. The good news of your salvation always begins right now in the middle of things. All of us are in the middle of life. That's the only way it can be. Your life began at one point. It's not now. Your life is going to end at another point, but it's not yet either. For the moment, we're somewhere in the middle, between the two, between life and death, birth and, uh, and the grave. And that is where Christ comes to you right now, right here. Right now, you are in need of salvation. Now you are in the wilderness longing for a spring of water. Now you are a sinner pleading for forgiveness. Now, in medias res, the gospel of Jesus Christ has begun. Your sin is forgiven. You have received the Holy Spirit in your baptism. And in the end, you will be with him. And now you are with him. Our Advent expectations hinge on the certain hope that just as Jesus came into the world, he will come again. He will come again 
He will come again as he had come 2,000 years ago and just as he comes to us now in the middle of things. When he was born 2,000 years ago, it was right in the middle of everyday life. When he comes again, it'll be at a moment we don't expect in the middle of everything else. He comes to us now the same way. We don't know when. We don't know how. But we know that he will come to us in the messiness of this world, in the, uh, in the middle of our sins and unworthiness, in the middle of our lives here in this wilderness. He will come to bring us plentiful redemption. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God, which passes understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, life everlasting. Amen.